Okay, and we're back. We are in the same setting, but with additional equipment this time. So uh, I know. What, what do you think of this place? Well, I, I see you, and I, and then I see you double. It's it's almost like there's a mirror dimension right right to my left to your right. Which which one's better? Well, they're they're both equal. Equal equality of outcome. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> not going down there. Okay, shut up, Sean. <laughs> All right, so uh, I, I want to kick this off by sort of picking up with a few questions that are going to lead in from what we talked about last time, mm-hmm. and then we'll expand upon that a little bit. Okay. All right, sounds good. Okay, so here's here's you know. By the way, Sean, I'm Wolf. Yes, I I am Sean. He is Wolf. We are Olympian Philosophics. Welcome everybody. Yeah, good to get that out of the way first. Okay, so Sean, I want you to answer me honestly. Is biased thinking to be avoided? So, I don't think... It depends on what you mean by bias. So, I'll try to use an example of how I'm biased, right? So, I am biased in that I prefer to play guitar almost doing anything else in my entire life. Right, right. Almost more than eating and sleeping sometimes. Okay. I've actually gone all day despite being hungry. So that is a bias. There's also been times where I, I, I selectively choose to be biased towards eating over doing other things. Good sometimes point. I'll, so I'll, I'll stress these. So I, I, I think that depending on how you look at it, bias itself is actually just the, the mechanism that determines how we make any decisions, which is basically how we live. Mm-hmm. So... I actually think it's impossible to not have bias, but I think it is possible to use bias is almost rooted in a different part of the brain than like where objective reality is perceived and and rationalized and, and thought about in a logos context. Uh, I I think you can be aware of your biases and, and therefore you can actually bypass them in your decision-making, but but your bias is like an instinctual, mode of operation. Okay. So how about, let me expand with a more specific question then maybe that'll help move us along. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that might've been too open-ended. Uh, so do you think scientific thinking can be biased? Well, I actually know it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in most psychological studies that are done these days, 97% of the studies published prove the hypothesis that they set out to test. Interesting. And that's just psychology to keep in mind, which I think is is a, a little bit hard. It's, it's not. It's more of a softer science. It's kind of in that bridge between philosophy and the harder sciences, you know? Right. Um, it's still valid, but I do think that there's a certain proclivity to call certain things science as a way of giving it credibility when maybe the scientific method isn't as strenuously applied hmm. as, say, uh, computer coding uh, biological engineering, mechanical engineering, you know, it's, it's, uh, a carburetor is a carburetor and, you know, orga- an organic compound is not an inorganic compound. You, you, you can't, you can't flub that kind of stuff. Hmm. So those kinds of sciences use objective based facts and, and variables that are agreed upon within the community to communicate just in general about what, what it is they're trying to prove. But, I want to flip it back over to you. Go ahead. Do you think that there's bias, that science can be biased? Not that there is bias in science, but do you think science can be biased? I I agree that it can be, and that's one of the things I want to dig into here. 
Okay. So what, what, I have a question for you. What, what prompted you to, to think about that question? What were you observing that kind of caused you to form this question or even a hypothesis? Can I defer that until a little bit later? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because I, I, I actually have a thought experiment I want to get into just a little bit after this that will kind of help elaborate on that. Absolutely, go ahead. Okay, so there's one more question I want to ask you that will fully get us set up for what we want to talk about here. Okay, so do you think truth or knowledge can be defined or is defined by the majority of what people think or agree on? Oh, that I do not think it is relies upon it exclusively. Um, there is some merit to the idea that I'm going to make up a statistic, but that 99.9% of people have two eyes, they have a nose, they sure. have taste buds, they have ears, and you know, they have a skin that they have skin that's full of, you know, touch receptors and they can feel pain. Right. So 99.9% of all human beings are getting if not the same information, at least close enough information that we all have consensus about what it is that we're seeing and what it is that we're noticing. Mm -hmm. um, however, I do think that there is some sort of innate human proclivity and to tie it into to our last podcast, you know, where dogma comes in, I think there is a right. proclivity to try to manipulate other people into believing a certain thing that benefits certain individuals or certain groups more than others. I do think that that power is a, even though postmodernists talk about it a lot and I don't want to go down that road too much. Sure. Power is, is, is a dynamic in, in human existence that I think is a confounding variable in truth. Mm -hmm. How, however, I mean, there, there is the fact that it doesn't matter how much truth you're speaking. If somebody has the power to silence you, regardless of whether what you're saying is true or not, the person who's powerful, maybe it be physically or they're socially or they have connections or technocratically they're powerful. Right. They can, it doesn't matter what the truth is almost at that point, which mm -hmm. is kind of unfortunate. Agree. Okay. Now let me, now let me walk you through this experiment, this thought experiment that I came up with that I think will help tie all these questions and pieces together here. I really like where this is going, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you do because we're going there regardless. Yeah. I, I'm glad I, I have, I have my walnuts right here. I've got my water. I'm, I'm all primed and ready to go. All right. Well buckle, you know, buckle down, get ready. Let's go. By the way, none of you needed to know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You're everyone's along for the ride. You're getting the full picture here. Yeah. Well, that's an example of truth, right? But anyways, yes. Okay. So here I, I want, uh, I'm going to start with one thought experiment. I'm going to slightly elaborate on it as I go. Okay. So let's imagine that there, imagine Sean, that there's uh, an, someone in this planet who has extrasensory perception. They can perceive things that are outside the range of not only human like vision and hearing, but also outside the range of most scientific instruments. You'd have to have very specialized instruments that don't currently exist in order to see what this person sees, right? Mm -hmm. So they have this very extrasensory perception. And let's just say that they happen to be able to, as a result of this, perceive what we would consider to be the spiritual realm. And they're able to perceive of spirits, ghosts, whatever you want to call this, some sort of beings that exist in a part of reality that no one else on the entire planet can perceive, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So here's the first part of the experiment. So now wh what's going to happen to this person, right? Who's able to perceive all these things that no one else can perceive exist. My, my, my 
proposal to you is that they are going to be be seen as someone who's, let's just say, not sane, Mm -hmm. and they'll probably put in an institution of some sort. Right. And there's very li- there's very low likelihood that there'll be any scientific experiments conducted as to whether this person's claims are actually real or not. Do you agree with that? Well, this sounds a lot like something I went through. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you, do you want to tell the story or are you not comfortable with that? Well, I actually think this is a perfect platform to do so. So I'll, I'll give you the, a little bit of a rundown. So Okay. Um, and by the way, I just want to preface what I'm about to say in that. I'm actually not the only one who has perceived things this way. I think I mentioned in our last podcast, I think I mentioned Dr. Carl Jung in the, in the 30s or 40s when he was mm-hmm. interviewing a schizophrenic patient who was using all of this terminology to deal with the sun. And then four right. years after that happened, a uh, an anthropologist was you know publishing these, these stories from Germanic tribes, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And the 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 words in those stories matched up almost perfectly word for word with what the patient was like gabbing about yeah i remember that so so a little bit of synchronous and i've had many experiences like that myself and i mentioned that in the last podcast so this is actually where i think it ties in very much to what's going on in the world today because i think one way that you can certainly alter how the senses that you already have are functioning are with substances, mm-hmm. psychedelic substances, right? I think that's, right. and to your point of how that relates to a spiritual experience, those ethnogens, uh, eth- ethneogens, I think is what they're called, could be mistaken. Those actually constitute a sort of spiritual awakening in mm-hmm. a lot of people or a spiritual experience. Ayahuasca, for example, some a lot of people report talking to machine elves, for example. <laughs> right. And I have no idea what a machine elf is. I have no concept of, of what that is. An elf is something that's only heard in fantasy. And machines, I mean, obviously we know what machines are. But it makes me think of robotic fantasy creatures. <laughs> I have no concept of what that is. If someone tells that to me, I have no grounding concept with which to relate that to. So naturally, I will think that it's insane. And I think anyone else who hasn't experienced it would. But mm-hmm. I will actually go on out on a limb here and say that it's, entirely rare if not impossible for somebody to have perceived something even even if they think they're seeing something new that no one else has experienced i think it's almost impossible that that happens in a sort of solipsistic it's like a one-time thing it's like the only it's like the singularity it's the only time it's happened yeah i i mean i i yeah this is very extreme just for the purposes of this experiment right right i'm kind of I'm kind of going into my own self-narrative here, so I have to be careful. I have to keep it grounded in the context of what you asked. Okay. I, I think that, hmm, I think it's entirely possible for someone to be crazy. Uh, I'm going to defer, actually, we, we, we were talking about the atheist and the and the psychologist last time. I'm just going to say the name, if that's okay with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Jordan Peterson actually did a, uh, was talking in classes about shamans, actually, and about what role they served in a lot of these indigenous societies. Mm-hmm. And in many times, the youth in whatever culture or tribe existed would would kind of have these spontaneous tendencies. They would maybe play by themselves. They wouldn't really socialize with other kids, but they'd be very drawn to like, they'd have dreams. They'd have dreams of the future. They'd have dreams that the, the culture and the other elders realized, oh, I've had these dreams before too, or the other shamans have had these dreams too, mm-hmm. you know? So the the thing that's scary though that Peterson mentions is that 
when you see people who are schizophrenic, who are institutionalized and, you know, they're obviously feeling some sort of energy. And I've seen these kinds of people. They're definitely, I've met, there's two types of people. There's the tethered crazies and the untethered crazies. Can you, can you explain the difference? I don't think right. I know. So like an untethered person is like, they're completely a slave to the, there's no other way to put it, but the energies that are around them, like the homeless people that you see on the street who are like saying random things to you, like, um, they, they, it's almost like they're so focused on taking in the energy around them that they don't have anything left for themselves. They mm. have no actual ego or identity. Their ego has completely disintegrated. So they're completely almost dead in a way, even though they're still alive. Their consciousness has been completely removed of its own personal identity. Those people are untethered. Oh man, there's so many, there's so many like rabbit holes I could go down with that in terms of like psychological zombies and stuff like that. But I'm going to leave that aside for right now. Non-player characters basically. (laughs) Yeah. In terms of like, you know, what's going on in their heads, but yeah. Anyway. And then the tethered people, and this kind of is in line with my most recent experiences where they go to that place where they're feeling the energies in a different way. They're perceiving reality in a, a, a different way. They're purposefully going there, but they're able to bring back some sort of message in the form of a language or a symbol or a sign mm-hmm. that has meaning to people who haven't gone on that journey with them. And, and that's, I think the real essence is it doesn't matter what you perceive. It matters what you communicate. Hmm. Okay. So back to the thought experiment, what, regardless of how you communicate what you've experienced, what do you, I, I guess, so one way I think you could communicate it that, that might be perceived differently is if you give it sort of a religious context If I had a, you know, a, mm-hmm. a religious experience, maybe that's more acceptable in some circumstances rather than saying, I saw a ghost. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're trying to get out here? Is there a different way of communicating it? Well, I think paranormal and religious phenomena kind of get looped into the same category as being metaphysical and sort of non-scientific, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of do a callback to your first question. Kids. But, but so, but here's, here's, here's the problem with it though. So this, this experience can happen while you're in the presence of other people and you can be seeing something that no one else is actually seeing. Mm-hmm. Generally, when you give that kind of, no matter how you communicate that, you're going to generally be seen as someone who's not like not got it all together. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think it just, that actually just highlights how the term crazy or the concept of insanity is really just the concept of someone who's openly communicating that they're not perceiving the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like I said, it's all based on communication, right? If, if I was perceiving like a, a, the ghost of a knight over your left shoulder right now, <laughs> which I'm not, but oh. for the purpose of argument, let's, let's say that. I was, I was kind of hoping you're going to share something with me right now. <laughs> he, he's a nice guy. You know, he, he's just here for the podcast. Okay. Um, if, if, if I was to see that, but not communicate it to you, mm-hmm. would I still be crazy? Ah, okay. So now I get what you're saying. So they can be perceiving things, but they could have like a filter in their own mind. That's either like sort of like saying, I'm not, you know, that's, that's just a hallucination or at least I'm not going to share that because people will think I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, let's, let's think about this, right? Isn't it kind of, it's all about the intent of what it is. Like I'm looking at the room that we're in right now. I see vents. I see a door. I see I see multiple doors. I see a cabinet. I see a refrigerator. I see the chair you're sitting in. I see all of these things. Yeah. It 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 would be crazy for me to articulate and communicate to you everything that I'm perceiving in this room. Mm-hmm. You might look at me and be like, "Will this guy ever shut up? Why <laughs> why is he talking about my room? We're trying to do a podcast here, you know?" And I, <laughs> it, it, so it 
it, it, is a, it is a matter not just of perception, but filtering. And people who have autism and Asperger's too, they, they, actually, have, um, they actually have an acute awareness to their surroundings, right? right. So uh, for the purpose, purpose of argument, let's say that someone with a very severe case of autism lived in this room. Mm-hmm. If, if I moved that chair that's behind you over there, they, they wouldn't perceive this room as the same room with that chair being moved. They would perceive the entire environment as being completely different and shifted mm. because where that chair is in relation to everything else affects everything else. So that's an example of they're seeing the same things as we are, but they're actually, they're processing it and conceptualizing it differently. Right. Even though they're not hallucinating, like there's a, in, in psychological terms, there's a positive um, symptom, which is where you, there's something added to your experience and there's a negative symptom. So, you know, having a negative symptom would be like depression, but like a positive symptom would be like mania. And I, and I, I don't mean it like good and bad. I mean like something's there versus something's not there. Okay. Point well taken, but let, let's just say the person in this thought experiment is voicing all, they have no filter. They're just mm-hmm. voicing all they're seeing to people around them. And they're basically seeing them as insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the next part of the question I have is, is that person wrong and are the other people right? Because there are many more that don't perceive it than do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm drawing, again, drawing on my own experience because it's, <laughs> I almost, it, it's, it's, it's almost hard. Did you, did you listen to my story and, and, and ask the questions these ways? But it's, it, I think it's so important. I did that. So I was living at home with my parents and I was smoking a lot of cannabis and I started to see things and perceive things uh-huh. that maybe weren't there. Well, let's just say for the sake of argument that they weren't there. Right. From the, a, yeah. I mean, you, you can't verify at this point, so we could go either way with this. Right. 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 And, you know, I started to see like shadows in the corner of my eye, which is actually a very common phenomenon in people who have bipolar, you know, mm. and smoking cannabis actually induces bipolar. But anyways, um, they were very scared because they didn't understand the reason for why I was telling them these things. Right. It's not just what you're communicating. It's the intent behind it. If you say, for example, I spoke to a ghost and you focus on just the novel novelty of that and you get obsessed with it to the point where it's like, you think there's another realm that you're, and then you try to escape to that realm. Yeah. That's is mental illness. But if you see a ghost who's telling you something that's maybe turns out to be meaningful, like it could be something really innocuous, like stop playing video games too much. <laughs> right. You know, I've, I've actually done um, active imagination experiments, which is where you try and talk to your subconscious as if it's a separate entity and ask it questions. And some of the answers I get are things like make your bed stupid. Yeah. I, I don't want to go too far down. Like but a, anyway, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but that I just want to tell you, share a quick anecdote that, um, I, I've heard of an interesting technique of building up like a council of, of elders in your mind where you mm-hmm. pick like historical figures who you want to be your advisors and you study them enough that you can sort of imagine them in your head. Yeah. And then you like, you know, basically you, you have conversations with them in your mind so that you can sort of better inform your decisions. I thought that was an interesting, interesting idea. I, I've, I actually do that. I do that when I'm writing, like I'll, do things like I'll ask doctor, yeah. usually people who are dead because it's like, I feel like it's feels like you're communicating with the dead a little bit, <laughs> but like Dr. Carl Jung, for example, I'll talk right. with him or, um, uh, so many other people. Mm-hmm. I think one time I even tried to ask Marx what, what he <laughs> thought of everything going on, but we'll leave. Yeah, we, we, we can talk about that later. <laughs> we can talk about that later. We're not going down that road. Um, so I think that it, it's, you can be perceiving something and communicating something without a filter 
it's it's insane if it's something that doesn't benefit you and the people around you. Now, this can go both ways. In our current society, we don't have much respect. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Ironically, the way our culture is right now is we actually tend to give a lot of respect at face value towards everyone's own individual subjective experience, right? Yeah, well... But at the cost of a sort of cohesiveness. I mean, the problem there is that not everyone has the same experience, though. So how can you give everyone equal respect, right? That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's like an intractable problem. Right. And, and I've actually thought about this a lot, about the, the person I used to be, let's just say I, I used to be on a completely opposite end of an ideological philosophical perspective. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've, I've gone all over the spectrum myself. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> it's just, by the way, side note, it makes me think of a, of, uh, of a joke, you know, people always talk about, you know, uh, gender identity. It's like, did you just assume my political affiliation? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So this gets to actually a, a, something that really underlies postmodernism which is, you know, is there, is there any objective truth if everyone has a slightly different perception? Mm -hmm. But even if you have the same perceptions, everyone has a different starting point. You know, it's, it's like, it's like there's 7 billion notes in a musical sc scale and, and they're all starting at different times. I don't even think we all have the same perceptions. I think some people might share similar, um, sensations, mm -hmm. but I have doubts about whether we all perceive them the same. Right, right. Well, I bet our ears are even tuned slightly differently. You might hear certain overtones in music that I don't hear. Right, because I think everyone's unique experiences necessarily has caused them to fine-tune like the filtering and the perception mechanism differently. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a way for everyone to have exactly the same or even two people to have exactly the same experience. Right. Well, it brings a question back to insanity, right? So if a bunch of, let's say a family is... Uh, and I'll stop here, and then you. Can, I think you want to ask another question. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna elaborate on. I'm gonna change the scenario a little bit, and then go further down. Yeah. Okay. I'll. I'll just make a conclusion to the question. So there's a crazy person. Their family's really worried about them. They get thrown in a psych ward because they say they're seeing shadows and ghosts and everything. Mm -hmm. um, that. Well, it just goes back to the obstacles, the way, which is it goes. It's. It's about growing. Mm -hmm. You know, regardless of what experience you're having, there are certain philosophical and moral principles that can help guide you through that. And as someone who's been through that and has felt very victimized and hurt and, you know, felt that all the people around me did this to me, I had the realization all of that is actually meant to help me grow as a person. Right. All the suffering, all the struggle. And it wasn't until I adopted that mindset of ownership, like, hey, I wanted this. I yeah, actually it, willingly went into this. It, it, it's reminding me, so like reality isn't just what, sensations you're perceiving it's it's actually what you make of it in a very real sense because of the way perception works right right well jocko willink he has a, a saying oh you didn't get that job good <laughs> i'm trying to do it in his voice your girlfriend left you good <laughs> i can't do that deep of a voice yeah that's that's a that's a very stoic approach i, I personally do i like that idea yeah so it's it, it's not just um the, the, what was it? Uh, Shakespeare, I think, said, you know, um, not, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but, you know, good or bad thinking makes it so. Mm -hmm, exactly. It's like that, right? So long story short, you know, the magicians and the shamans, yeah, if they're seen as crazy and thrown in a psych ward, I mean, it's like, you know what? It's it's an opportunity to learn from the experience. Mm -hmm. I, I, I honestly don't think if that, had, if that hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Well, 
glad to have you here the way you are right now. Yeah, and 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 <laughs> yeah. glad to move on to the next point. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, this is only a slight adjustment. It's not, not going to take very long. I just want to make a one more point with this. Um, so let's imagine very similar scenario, but let's imagine that the ghosts that the the single person is perceiving are within the range that can be detected by like scientific instruments, but not within the normal perception range that are like visible to other people. So it's not not visible to sight and things like and the the standard like cameras would pick up or anything like that. But mm-hmm. with, you know, standard I don't know what the instruments would be, but let's just say oscilloscopes or whatever, you know, standard instruments science scientists have, they could detect them pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But they would have to be in the right place where the person is perceiving it. So does that change the scenario at all? Do you think the person is any more likely to be believed or to be studied experimentally? Because my point is, I think the, the way that science has biased us, we are not any more likely to believe this person, even if the science would prove that they're right. So the first thing that pops into my head is the paranormal activity movies. Okay, yeah. That is, is literally a thought experiment. And it, 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 it highlights the points of your thought experiment, I think, mm-hmm. quite well, which is what happens when there's obviously an entire family perceiving something. Well, that's slightly different. Slightly different, yeah, but I, I get your point. You know, just imagine there's there's one kid who's like, um, they're having dreams of demons, let's say. Yeah. You know, so the parents decide to put a, a camera mm-hmm. over it. And, you know, right at the precise time that a kid wakes up screaming, there's like, this the the camera shorts out or something like that you're like hmm those two events are correlated why did the camera short out why is there a white screen right as the child wakes up screaming Mm -hmm. we don't see what the child says they see but it's correlated i'll give you another example okay there's a uh youtuber called psyched substance who was relating um, his name's adam Mm -hmm. he was relaying a story about taking a mushroom trip and about how he saw this eyes closed like door in front of him almost kind of like g-man from half-life i don't know if you've ever played that yeah, yeah movie. i have actually yeah it's almost kind of like that scenario <laughs> where there's like red smoke coming out and a perfect carbon copy of him comes out hmm. and the smoke kind of rises up to like shoulder level head level and it forms this wall and all of these spikes start pressing forward Ooh. and as the spikes are about to enter into his like his eye and his mind's eye his kid was right next to him wakes up screaming bloody murder so huh. in that instance, the trip that this individual was having, the 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 similarity or the the coalescence in between his perception and an outside event was perfectly synchronous. So you're, you are you proposing that he might be perceiving the building up of something that led to that reaction in his child? Yes. That yeah, anything's possible, right? <laughs> so so here's the thing, right? If science you 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 might not be able to have a scientific instrument but let's say i want to modify it let's okay. say for example that, I, I want to go back to it but you can modify it first okay let's say that there wasn't any actual device that could measure it okay but you had a lot of let's say you had a lot of people reporting the same exact thing okay that's a different scenario yeah so so what then there was an there was this real- so i would by the way in that scenario i would argue it gets a little bit more likely that it would be studied at least scientifically if enough people were reporting it Right. But what if you couldn't find a cause? Like there was a school in Malaysia where there were like 80 kids who like were all hallucinated this like 
I'm getting chills thinking about it. This it's called the Hat Man. It's actually an internet meme. Okay. Where it's like this tall, dark figure, kind of like Slender Man, that wears a hat, but like mm. almost kind of like the Babadook. I don't know if you ever seen that movie, The Babadook. No, never seen that. Uh, it's it's about a boogie, boogeyman, basically. Mm-hmm. But eighty kids, like reportedly, like were passing out and all having simultaneous visions of this one entity, mm. and they had like scratches on their body in like weird places, and it was oh. like, but it was it wasn't just one kid. It was like an entire school. That just all randomly got hit with the same thing. I feel like I never saw this episode of the X-Files, but I would have liked it. <laughs> or, 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 or was it Twilight Zone? I don't know. Well, you know, t- going back to our last podcast where we talked about the importance of stories. I mean, it, it's a story nonetheless. I mean, I think it was accurately reported. I don't think 80 kids just randomly decided to conspire and lie about seeing an entity that wasn't there i mean stranger things have happened but i'll, I'll say it's possible yeah i mean at, at that point i might want to investigate you know what's going <laughs> well, on with the school so I, I would say regardless of which case it is you want to investigate the cause of that whether it's a pe- bunch of people conspiring or if it's actually an event they've accurately right. reported on well i'm going to go down really rabbit hole territory where the cia actually did try to measure this It's been Mm -hmm. well documented that the CIA was very, and the intelligence agencies were very interested in paranormal phenomena. Mm -hmm. They actually wanted to see if they could somehow use it as a tool to control it. And I mean, it's like, you know what? Fair enough. I mean, yeah, it's definitely well known that they experimented as, as regards to what the results of the experiments were, that might be a little more contested. Well, even if they did find something, would we know? Yeah, (laughs) I say probably not. Yeah. And that's one of the things that kind of boggles my mind, right? Like you think about those experiments and you think about, okay, what if there are literally people who can see ghosts? They are in a sense real. They can mm-hmm. fa- convey very real information about another world mm-hmm. that you can use to track move, track your own movements in this world in a way that benefits you. That's, that's a crazy thought experiment. Like, like what would that, I mean, you're basically talking at that point about a world where superheroes secretly exist. <laughs> Yeah, kind of in a way. Yeah. Okay. So back to my like modified version of the proposal where there's like it is detectable by science, but there has to be a desire on the part of science to want to investigate these scenarios and rather than just accept sort of the the narrative if you will that you know these perceptions because they're not seen by the majority of people are not real. Um mm-hmm. so I I would propose that it's not really any more likely that will so the, the next question i have for you is do you think science would ever accept such phenomenon would we ever investigate things like that and i think that that one of the biases we have in science is we probably wouldn't well well let's just i'm gonna preface my answer by saying that if such phenomena is real and if it's been real for if it's real now it's been real for a very long time right and it means that many people have known about it for a very long time. Sure. And we can modify it to be not just a single person, but let's just say it's a small enough percentage that it's not likely to be believed. Right. Well, let's, let's, because I, I don't, I don't think the people who, well, let, let's also say the people who have those perceptions don't have like an evolutionary advantage over those who don't. And I think that's probably the case. Well, it depends on what on what the perceptions are. For example, right? Like, um, I this, I always seem to have this really strange um, pre precognition of being in danger. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll get higher messages, 
in, in a sense, like in dreams or something where I'll, I'll learn something about myself that I didn't know. But other times I'll be driving on the road and I'll be looking down at my phone and all of a sudden I'll, it's like, I'll hear a ringing in my ear and I'll look up and I'll like barely swerve and miss a car that's going like 45 on the freeway or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or I'll just, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. I do, I do think it's a lot more common than people think. And I think it depends on the severity and it depends on exactly what abilities are, 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 are found to be real. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have to hypothesize about like telepathy. Right. Right. So like, what if I, I could read people's minds and that were proven, but I was like one of maybe a thousand people in the world that could do that. Mm-hmm. Well, do you really think that a, it would be the first time it was like officially discovered or known. I mean, I feel like the people, if people, if telepathic people, for example, existed, they would be able to communicate to each other in a way that's like, Hey, why would we want other people to know about this? See, but I think those people might actually have an evolutionary advantage because they have more information than people who don't have telepathy. Right. But, and here's the thing though. They actually have a lot to lose by sharing it. It goes back to you said about the psych ward, right? That's the in-group, out-group bias. It's like mm-hmm. someone, if I perceive, or let's say you perceive me, well, I'll, I'll per, no, let's say I perceive you. Let's say I perceive you to be hearing things in my head. And mm-hmm. let's say it's actually real. Let's say you actually have telepathy. Okay. And you start saying things that I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're doing. We're in a party situation. There's like five other people. You start doing it with everybody. All of us get freaked the frick out, right? <laughs> right. We're like, well, that's only if I, that's only if I actually share. If I don't just secretly like you know remember and then mm-hmm. use that later to my advantage. Well, I'm using one of the variations of your thought experiment where you're just communicating everything that you're perceiving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think we'd be very likely to, even if we didn't we'd probably feel that it was valid enough that it, it wasn't like, okay, he's hallucinating. He's seen something. He's saying things that aren't there. We're all having a shared experience where he's actively perceiving our thoughts accurately. Mm-hmm. We'd probably all still want to leave. Right. Cause right. it's so new and novel. It's like, how do you, you have this vision of reality and how people interact and how we exchange information. It's like, what does it, what does it mean when somebody can like intrude your thoughts without, your permission. Yeah. I, I, I think what I'm hearing your point say is that the people who would be open about their telepathy would have a hard time maintaining friendships with people who weren't telepathic. Mm-hmm. And that would be a like disincentive to, to share that. Cause that would like socially, you know, make them outcast essentially. I, I think it would, I think it really would. And it, it poses a real danger too. Right. Cause I mean, if, um, well, let's say like if you were in like the Salem witch trials or, or mm-hmm. if you were in like a really like, religiously fanatic like old european country like england like in 14th 17th century i, I forget um but you know they used to burn witches you know mm-hmm. what what would happen if you did have those abilities at a time when it's like those things were seen as naturally evil when maybe they weren't you know what i mean um mm-hmm. what would happen to you hmm. and it's the same thing and, and here and, and to tie it back to something that's more grounded because you know what if you know what if it has to do with something like political beliefs right mm-hmm. i mean it, it, it's we live in this day and age right now where so many people are talking past each other and, and i'm just taking that 
I'm only talking about it that far. We're talking past each other because everyone's perceiving different things a la social media mm -hmm. because the algorithm kind of manipulates and makes sure that everyone does see something different. <laughs> so when you have all these people who are perceiving events in the world differently, it's like you're kind of getting this active simulation of what would happen if everyone did have psychosis simultaneously. Kind of, yeah. I mean, but it's... Yeah, it's it's a little bit more of a tribal phenomenon though than like an individual basis though, right? Mm -hmm. It is because it's not quite to every. If every single person had completely different set of views, then that would be a different problem. That would be like just out warfare with everyone. It's more yeah. of like a tribal conflict type yeah. of scenario, right? Yeah, where it's like all the telepathics would like form one group and all the pyrokinetics <laughs> would form another. <laughs> and the necromancers would be <laughs> oh gosh don't even get me started on necromancy man <laughs> yeah this, this isn't that kind of podcast but it could be by the way side note there was apparently old documents in asia that say that smoking cannabis is the equivalent of like an initiation into necromancy uh, okay i'm just gonna let that <laughs> just let that go <laughs> yeah, let that go let that go <laughs> okay so i, I want to move the, the discussion on a little bit so i i think that that because of reasons like this, because of perception being so sort of subjective in a way, or at least it's variable among individuals, right? It's it's one of the things that, that leads to us being sort of skeptics in a lot of ways and being skeptical of knowledge in particular. Um, mm -hmm. So this, this, this phenomenon has come up in a lot of different scenarios. Um, in like the older variations of this, there was the notion of you know, evil demons that were deceiving people or like, am I just living in a dream constantly? Things like that. Mm -hmm. In the, in the modern world, this is manifested in terms of some, like, are we just brains in a vat that are, you know, just being fed information and then perceiving the world a certain way? Or most recently it's like the notion is the whole world just a simulation. So like the whole plot of the matrix, basically, you know, mm -hmm. are we just living in a computer simulation of the world or are we really living the world? Right. So there, there's there's another one that that's come around. I don't know if you've heard about this one, but I I read about read up about this as I was sort of researching the topic. Is uh, have you ever heard of the five minute hypothesis? Mm -mm. Enlighten me. So this one's actually being skeptical of the notion of memories and history. So it's basically what proof do we have that the world that that all of the universe isn't actually only five minutes old, and we were just that universe was you know built. Or it was, you know, it was formed with all all of us having the perceptions of having this life and this history and everything behind us. Mm -hmm. The first thing that makes me think of is is a lot of what a lot of uh, uh, Christians will actually say in regards to the Bible, how it's like only seven thousand years old. Yeah, They're like well, seven thousand years in God's years—that's not the same as our years, you know. Yeah, so it, it's it's a it's a variation on on yeah some of those same sort of structures, but basically the whole idea is how can we be skeptic or sorry, the skeptics are saying, how can we know that we are actually perceiving what we think we're perceiving that we, mm -hmm. you know, the memories we have are real, all of those sorts of things. So I guess mm -hmm. I want to dig into a little bit of that. And so how, how can we trust any of those things? Right. Right. Because the way we remember things is not exactly the same way as like a, a chronological video for example it's it's not like no it's not it's like six minutes of you and i talking what i'm probably going to remember from this is like a couple of concepts and words that are like outside the realm of time mm -hmm. time is just helpful in me um experiencing those concepts and remember but what i choose to remember will kind of almost be entirely subjective and based on my own internal biases really right so it, it's a fundamental question of what purpose does it 
solve to help to think of the universe as only being five minutes old? Well, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the power of now. <laughs> what if the universe was even closer to that? What if the universe was only five seconds old? Yeah. I don't know why the, the term, why the period five, maybe five minutes is like short-term memory span or something like that. I don't know mm -hmm. where that originally came from. Yeah. Well, I think that it's, it's a lot helpful to think of the universe as being actively created right now, mm -hmm. like right now. And, and, and the concept of now is so foreign to us, I think. And that's why it's so spiritual. And like you, you hear about living the now, you know, like, yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot of different theories about, well, physics in particular that, you know, is there even such a real thing as the past or is there just a series of like nows that exist in different forms, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go out on a huge limb and I'm going to bend your mind a little bit. Go, please. So, you know, it obviously makes sense to think of the past as influencing the present, right? Yeah. But have you ever thought about how your future might be affecting your present? Okay. Now... I've I've heard about this in the context of different theories of of time travel and causal loops. Mm -hmm. So that's what it makes me think of. Do you want to go down that road? Well, I'm going to use the term. I'm going to think of music, actually. Okay, tell me. So it's so interesting to me in that. So I record myself playing backing tracks mm -hmm. a lot as a way of practice. I'm going to go in somewhere with this. Okay, please. <laughs> in the performances that I enjoy the most. I end the backing track on the root note or some harmonious note. Right. On the ones where I don't end on the right note, the entire track seems like it's out of place. <laughs> it doesn't matter actually what's happening in that time loop, so to speak. What matters is what's happening at the end. And it actually doesn't matter how I start either. What matters is how I end that determines whether it's enjoyable. And you'll hear this in music philosophy a lot of the times where yeah i um i, I do a lot of I've, I've been in the the business and the technical world a lot and whenever i go through different uh preparations for presentations most of the attention is actually given on how to how to give like a really good ending to the presentation that seems to be what people care the most about is what you leave people with like mm -hmm. the the way you sum things up and the way you do the right wrap up rather than the intro is like kind of important, but, and the body is like, yeah, you're expanding on ideas, but most of that people are going to forget. Most of what they're going to remember if they stick around is what you end it with. Right. And, and I think it's a tie into achieving a transcendental spiritual purpose, which I think is the fourth step in your principles of philosophy Yeah, is, you know, if you have something high to aim towards, like a good note to end on, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to subsequently influence all the notes that you... By, by, by the way, I'm not going to get to it yet, but by the end, I'm going to propose four different solutions to this problem, and we're going to think think about what each, how, how we, how we want to evaluate each of them. Absolutely. Okay. So, so, I, I actually really want to hear that, so I'm going okay. to quickly wrap this up. So I, I'm going to hypothesize that... Um, in, in this event of planning mm -hmm. where you in kind of envision the future and you visualize uh, Conor McGregor was actually a mixed martial artist who was huge into the secret and visualizing his success, right? Which is why in the middle parts of the 2000, 2010, 2020 period in that middle range, he was so successful is because he visualized, he planned his future, but in a way he, he met so meticulously envisioned the future that it influenced his present. Hmm. So it's almost like, yeah, what we have memories, but we also have visions of the future. We also, we also can visualize what it is that we want. So how is that different from a memory? Oh man. 
<laughs> like there's so such a rabbit hole we could go down with that but why here, aren't we going down these rabbit holes this is fun Let's is, do this, it. this is but but i also i also want to be able to like put a time box on these episodes but yeah, um, that this but, is true by the way everyone i'm sean and i'm the chaotic one wolf's the incredibly logical and organized one <laughs> and that, not that i'm illogical but that, that's only to a point but what i was let me just say real quick about that like here's a thought for you what if when you're visualizing or you're, um, what do you call it? You're planning or you're thinking of the future. What if you are actually experiencing futures that do exist and not just in your head? Mm -hmm. You're like tapping into some future reality in those cases. Absolutely. And you're actually experiencing within your own, within your own mind. Oh, absolutely. And, and, uh, I bring up Jordan Peterson again, but he has a, a future authoring suite. That oh, is, I've actually, I've heard about that and I kind of want to check it out because I've heard good things. Yeah, it's super cheap. It's only like $7, mm -hmm. roughly about that, depending on the sale. Yeah. But anyway, as far as visualizing your future, I mean, to bring it all back to something pragmatic, the whole reason we're having this discussion, I imagine, is so that we can kind of, you know, figure out maybe what perceptions we want to communicate with other people. I mean, is that kind of, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's a big part of it. And try to understand even what, what it means to perceive something. Right. And, and that's, that's a good question, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. What if we, if we couldn't communicate, what would be the point of perceiving? <laughs> uh, that, yeah. You're, you're reminding me of, you know, a tree falls in a forest and no one hears it, you know? <laughs> right. But it's like that, that tree, still happens maybe that tree falls on like a badger's nest and kills the mother badger there's only like one orphan badger that makes it it has a completely different life it it, it, it causes a chain reaction well yeah. i think i think part of it too is about meaning right because if there's if there's no one to perceive it and to you know to write a story about it or to pass it on mm -hmm. like what's does it even matter that the event occurred right Right. Well, well, I think that's why communication plays into perception. Yeah. I'm communicating with sounds, which you're perceiving. So I think communication, and that goes back to telepathy. It's like a form of, telepathy is almost, you could almost argue it's like a form of communication without perception. <laughs> you're hurting my head, but I, I get where you're going with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's my job. If I'm hurting people's heads, I'm making them think. Awesome. You do that to me all the time. You sent me like the text <laughs> message about what is it the the ghost that that couldn't perceive anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah. Anyway, you t you sent the the thought experiment to me, and I just I was like, my my head hurts. I can't do this. Anymore. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ahead. So yeah, I think I think we're about at the point where we should start wrapping it up. Well, like getting into the the last points I have here. So. There's, I, I would propose that there's like four main, there's, there's sub branches of these, but there's four main approaches or answers we can have to basically this, this problem we have here, right? Of, mm -hmm. can we trust our perceptions? Can we trust our memories? Can we trust anything that we consider knowledge? Right. Mm -hmm. So, so we could one, one approach, and this is unfortunately all too common today is we could accept the skeptical view and say that, well, because we can't prove that these perceptions are real, we're not dreaming, that we're not just, you know, in some simulation, we're not a brain and a bat being zapped different perceptions around us because we can't prove any of those. Because the, the reason you can't prove any of those is any, any evidence you could come up with that tries to prove that is consistent with the view in which that is the case, right? There's, there's no, there's, because the only evidence we have is what we, what we perceive, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the problem. There's other things we can prove that are just, internal to ourselves so like you know obviously descartes you know think thinking is and you know proving that you're a thinking being is something you can do but that's not the same as what you perceive right 
Right. So one approach is we could accept that. And that's essentially nihilism at that point. It's like, mm. we can't know anything there. I, I, I would propose that's not the right approach, but that's like I said, unfortunately all too common today. Yeah. Nihilism. You can't perceive anything. There's no objective truth. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a dangerous road. Okay. So we don't need to go too far down that road. I figured we wouldn't spend much time on that one. Um, so that the next approach, and this, this ties it all the way back to the last talk we had and, and been talking a little bit about is we could just accept on faith that what we perceive is real. We could essentially have like a dogma or a, you know, a, a belief in our heads about that and sort of treat that as, you know, perception is reality basically. Right. <sighs> So this, this, taking our own perceptions. Yes. Okay. Now this is dangerous in a slightly more subtle and not obvious way. I see. So you're, so you're highlighting two extremes. These One are, of, yeah. These are the two extremes I'm starting with. Okay. Okay. I, I like it. I like it. Um, so I can actually perfectly highlight an example. Go ahead. This is dangerous. Um, for example, if you do perceive a ghost <laughs> and you automatically think it's real you start ascribing these concepts of meaning to it before you even know what it is that you're seeing mm -hmm. you can get sucked down you become you know you become you can become one of those homeless people on the streets pretty quickly yeah so it, uh, but i want to hear what your what, what, what your other solutions are before i go down oh okay yeah maybe, maybe we can come back to that if you have any any thoughts um so the, the next approach we could take is you could try and come up with some sort of logical counter argument for this proposal. You could try and refute the claim itself, right? Refu refute your own perception? Well, refute that you, you would kind of logically prove, not on dogma, but somehow prove with logic that we can trust our perceptions. Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, so this is kind of, it's a more toned down version of your second. Right. It's, 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 trying, to, it's trying to accept the premise, but it's also trying to do it in a way that's consistent logically. So you're not doing it just purely based on dogma. Right. And this, this has been tried by the way. I, I didn't take too many notes on all the different approaches cause I couldn't find one that I found compelling. It's like I said, there's, there's no evidence I can think of that you could come up with. That's not consistent with the view that the premise is already true that, you know, you can be deceived basically by your perceptions. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's a dead end, but it is, it's an approach that people have taken before. Mm -hmm. What is it? <sighs> This is kind of a side note, but what is the difference between perceptions and experience? Oh man, those, those two are so closely related that I, I liked in, in terms, in terms of the different pieces of like how you see reality. I like to think of sensations as being the, the, like the raw sensory input, you know, like they're the nerves you have that feel things or, you know, mm -hmm. all the different stuff in your body that senses things. And then I like to think of when you feed that into your brain, the process of interpreting that, like filtering and everything as being perception. I don't, I'm not sure where experience fits into that. Mm -hmm. Well, God, I, I use the psychedelic example almost in every single sentence I say, but <laughs> Joe Rogan had a really good quote where, you know, he was talking about people who trip and they have those altered perceptions. And he's like, it doesn't matter whether what you're seeing is real or not. The experience is still the same. Mm. It still happens. So, right. Yeah. The, I would say that, yeah, the, per, the perception is kind of like, is, is a factual thing is, is true is mm -hmm. the knowledge, mm -hmm. but the underlying like experience, not experience, sorry, the underlying sensations behind it could potentially like not be true, if that makes sense. Or like the, the world may not be as you are perceiving is what I'm trying to say. Right. 
I, I, okay, so I'm trying. So if I were to try and logically, well, let's take something that we both agree on. We're both sitting in chairs right now. Yes. So how would I, you know, logically, instead of just taking it as a faith-based assumption, which is one extreme that you're sitting in a chair, how would I, how would you articulate that we're sitting in chairs right now? Like how, logically, how would you logically walk someone through the fact that yes, this is a chair? Um, so, uh, yeah, I remember one, one of the arguments was around like, because our brains can only, can't, can't, can only perceive of the, can only think about the world in a certain way, like that, that is logically consistent, that necessarily that must be the nature of reality because our brains wouldn't, what do you call it? They, I'm, I'm not good at articulating this cause this isn't really my point of view, but that our brains wouldn't be able to perceive the world in a way that's not real because it wouldn't, it would like be it would give us a disadvantage evolutionary like in terms of our our evolution and everything like that so it would it would necessarily have to be that our our brains work in a way that's consistent with reality if that makes sense so that that means that in in an essence the the pinnacle of perception it's impossible to perceive something that's not there i can communicate something in a flawed way but the act of perceiving something it's it's impossible to actually perceive something that's not there yeah, so that if you go down that road, it, you get into a murky area in terms of how do you then define reality, right? Well, if, you identify reality through communication, and that's where the flaw is. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's there's one more approach left, which in, in case you haven't been keeping track, this is the one I tend to subscribe to the most. Um, and so this is this is this is kind of a middle ground between several different approaches in a way, and this is basically. We can accept, we can accept basically, so we can accept the foundations of the premise, but not the ultimate conclusion of it, which is basically accept that we, we can't have certainty in our knowledge, but that we could have a, a softer def, or like a, a yeah, softer version of knowledge, which is basically we can know regardless of how we are getting those perceptions, whether those are based in reality or not, we can still know within the system that we are perceiving mm -hmm. like what the rules are basically. So we can still deduce based on our perceptions, how that world is operating right mm -hmm. now. There's problems with that obviously, because now that means, and, and what's funny about this is, well, let me, let me tell you what the problems are. So the problems are that the rules could change at any time, right? Because mm -hmm. if we are being fed those perceptions by like, you know, the matrix or, you know, some brain in a vat, like they could change those at any time and rip the rug out from under us. But the truth is that we, we don't, even if we are living in the real world, quote unquote, there's no, like only on faith, do we believe that the, the rules aren't going to change based on some underlying principle that we don't understand in physics. Like someday, like the world could just dramatically change because we don't have enough complete knowledge of how the world works. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't see that as a problem necessarily. Well, that of the four solutions that you outlined, that was the first one where I heard you mention the word acceptance, <laughs> which was as a solution was actually something that I was kind of preconceiving in my own head as what a solution might be. Mm. Yeah. So I was glad that you 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 came to that. We're, I think we're in consensus in that. And that acceptance of the experience is intrinsic to finding meaning within your perception. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess what what I'm what I'm trying to say here is that there's no like there's not even necessarily a right or a wrong answer. There's just whatever answer like you can accept, right? I'm using acceptance there again, but whatever you can build a story in your mind around. And to me, based on the way that I like to perceive the world, that that's the story I like to tell myself basically is that 
yeah, I understand that there's reasons to be skeptical. I have all of the scientific knowledge that tells me that, you know, the, the world, our perceptions of the world are necessarily not perfect. Right. But I don't want that to like, let me fall into the, you know, either of the extremes in terms of nihilism or dogmatic approaches. I want to still mm -hmm. take a logical approach to things and just use reason to find what the limits are of what I can know based off of that faulty or based off of the flaws in the way I perceive the world. Right. 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 Hmm. I, I'm inspired to, to share something and I, and I think it's um, poetically related to what it is that you're saying. Go ahead. Okay. And I hope I don't, get in trouble with the art of living foundation for sharing what I believe is an actual secret, but I have paid my dues. I have given them money. So I think I'm entitled to share my experience. Um, <laughs> okay. There is a technique where, uh, you are given a mantra by a guru. Okay. You do not mention this mantra to anybody. Hmm. You never say it again. You basically, he speaks to you one-on-one. -on -one, he says it to you, you say it back and that's it. Okay. Please don't tell it to me. I'm not going to. Okay, good. <laughs> But the idea is that it's almost kind of like the spinning top and in inception, right? How you have that thing that always lets you know whether you're dreaming. Mm, okay. So it's the, the top at an abstract level can be thought of as a point of consistency. Mm, interesting. And, you know, based on Einstein's theory of relativity, if everything's kind of relative to everything else, then, you know, the only measure of any absolute truth is anything that has some measure of consistency. Right. So... In saying the same word, mantra, over and over again, it actually has the effect of relating everything you're experiencing to one vibration. Hmm, interesting. And, and, and in that sense, it kind of, it does act as, as you meditate and you practice it more, it does kind of act as this strange focal point. That, that kind of recenters. So and you can do that. And, and, and this isn't just something that the Art of Living Foundation does. This is something that's done in all dogmatic religions, right? Yeah. So when you start repeating certain words and phrases and sounds and vibrations, like, like God is good, or, you know, um, there's phrases in, in Hindi and, and, and Islam as well. Yeah. You know, when you start using those as mantras, repeating them, it, it, it forms a central sound or vibration through that is is always consistent regardless of what's happening around you yeah so that that actually reminds me of the the pillars of the philosophical approach that i talked about where these are very hard to find but i think you're 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 getting you're tapping into something there where there are certain like foundational principles that you like organize everything else in your life around and if you can find those or you know if you if you can't you can maybe make them up and then mm -hmm. start organizing your life around some new principle that you want to organize your life right that that is kind of the first step in like improving your thinking basically. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's about finding what works and, and having, because uh, sorry, I just wanted to say, because yeah. it helps you identify what are the things in my mind that aren't consistent with that and sort of like reorganize where you, where you need to do some cleanup. Right. Exactly. Well, Jordan Peterson says, clean your room. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, uh, I think that's going to do it for, uh, for this time. So, uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Wolf, thank you for hosting me. It's been a pleasure as well. Looking yep. forward to next episode. Ah, enjoy it. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Later Olympians. Bye. <laughs>